Welcome to the Business of Eye Innovation, MedDevice Consulting's regular podcast about all things ophthalmology in Europe. This is part two of our topic, transforming clinical data into a peer-reviewed publication. During the first part, we were joined by Professor Dr. Stephanie Joachim, who is Head of Experimental Eye Research at Ruhr University in Bochum, and Cloti Jamel, who is our Regulatory Project Manager and part of our clinical writing team at MedDevice. They gave a really comprehensive discussion of how to submit a manuscript for peer review. In today's second episode, we are honoured to have Dr. Anjali Yu, Cornea Fellow at the University of Ferrara. Dr. Yu will be talking with us about the topic of statistics and how to structure your collected data and perform data analysis and interpretation. So to begin, I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Anjali Yu. Thank you for the invitation. I think today, obviously, um, statistics has become very important um, and, you know, gone were the days where you could just present, you know, case reports or, or small series um, without providing data or presenting the data in a manner that is um, statistically driven. I'd love to share, you know, um, just a brief overview about what to consider uh, when you're um, presenting your clinical data. Um, the initial questions that should guide you in preparing your article are very simple. You know, in any research endeavor, you must first ask why, why you're conducting the study, or basically, what are your study goals? Because this guides uh, the rest of your um, clinical data presentation. And when you know both your study goal, the next thing to understand is what is the appropriate design? Uh, the study design is important. It's much more important than anything else because this also um, guides you towards what appropriate data you need and how you need uh, how this data must be presented. And that leads to the third question, which is the how. Um, so let's start with the why. Um, basically, these are some common study goals. One would be to report a rare disease or a case report. Um, another would be to evaluate outcomes of a surgical procedure over time. Um, another would be to determine, let's say, whether uh, there is an association between an outcome and a disease. And another would be to compare safety and efficacy of two interventions. Um, if you're familiar with statistics, then here you can already tell, depending on your study goal, the statistical, the data that you need to collect and the analysis that you need to perform would be based on why you're actually performing the study. And the next part is what? What, what study design you're performing? So, of course, you can start with a case report or a case series. And as you move along um, the clock, this pyramid, you have better quality of evidence. And the analysis obviously changes depending on the design. But most importantly, you'll need to, you'll need to know how to present the data, right? You, many of us are familiar with a Excel spreadsheets or whatever program you use. Um, when you collect the data from whatever institution you're from. And really, 
what you basically need to understand is how to sum how to summarize large quantities of data and how do you use this data to make important uh, statistical inferences. So we always start with descriptive statistics. And basically just includes a summative presentation of the patients that you have. But descriptive statistics also include the main features of the data set. The mean, median, and standard deviation would be how you'd see it in studies. But before you, you know, create these tables and these graphs, I think what's really important is you understand um, what certain basic concepts of statistics in that if you don't understand the basics, you'll never understand how we came up with these tables or graphs. This is a good point, Anjali. And even for most of us who learn some level of statistics during our studies, it's often not enough or it's not consistent globally. And different institutions and organisations take a different approach to teaching statistics. By addressing the basics, it can help ensure everyone has the same baseline of knowledge. So data can be um, broadly classified into two, categorical and numerical. And categorical data can either be nominal or ordinal when there's a specific order. Numerical can either be discrete or continuous. Um, so um, just for an example, categorical data can include gender or race or whatever groups you classify individuals or subjects into. Um, and again, the distinction between ordinal and numerical data just comes from whether the data has a natural order of it. Um, in general, ca categorical data is presented in terms of frequency and or percentages. Now, continuous data are presented as measures of central tendency, that's mean or median, depending on whether the data follows a Gaussian curve. It's really important that you don't just report means. It's almost always standard to also report standard deviations. So you understand how wide, how wide the variance is within the population. It's also important to report the number of cases that the mean represents. So all these numbers must be um, within your data set. And the more you report, the more we understand what your data represents. Another you know, basic classification of data is the difference between independent variable and a dependent variable. From knowing the dependent and independent data, then you're able to construct your descriptive statistics. Um, and again, depending on what you wanna show, whether it's baseline characteristics, which are best shown through a table, or if you wanna show data through time, which is best shown through graphs, then you're able to understand and show, at best show the data or best present the data. Okay, now we move on to inferential statistics. Now here, you know, it gets a little bit more complicated, but you shouldn't be overwhelmed by this data. It's basically just the use of various measures of central tendency. But this time we test 
with specific hypothesis and therefore draw a specific conclusion from your hypothesis. And all of this is based on study findings. I guess what, I'm, what you, many of us will just go and say, oh, just look at the p-value. Well, what's really important more than just the p-value are the actual data, right? You have to go back to seeing the actual data to understand whether or not there is a significant difference. Because more than that, what you really use in clinic is the actual data in the first place. Some researchers will you know, fall into, it's just trying to find a significant value, but there's really more, more to that than just the p-values. Maybe I would like to add, you know, like even if the outcome ended to be statistically uh, different between two groups, it all, like the difference also need to be clinically meaningful because you can sometimes obtain a difference, you know, is different from the statistic point of view, but the difference is too small that there is no real clinical you know, interest behind this. So it's, you know, I agree with Angelia, like it's not, you know, if you have the good p-value, it's all good. No, you need to like go further and think about, you know, the clinical pertinence uh, of, of your outcomes, of your results as well. Okay, so inferential statistics can be, there's can be broad again uses the classifications of the data types when you have categorical data and you have unpaired data you use a chi-square of course there's a difference if there's only two groups to be compared you can sometimes use a fisher exact test when you have paired data on the other hand then you use a mcnemer test or a cochran's q now Unless you're a statistician, I think what's just important is that you know these basic distinctions because it will help you understand whether the whether what the statistician has given you is indeed appropriate for your data set. Having this in mind is is to me just enough um, for you to present your paper or for you to present your data. Now, when you move on to um, continuous variables, the tests are slightly different, right? It, now you also have to consider whether your data follows a Gaussian curve or not. And besides that, I, I think you have to also look into whether your data has, again, categories that are within subject or between subject and the number of groups. Unless you perform the analysis yourself, if you have somebody else do it for you, what's important is just that you understand this scheme and see was the test that was that you've asked someone else to do appropriate for your data set. This is a simple way to check whether indeed it was appropriate or not. If you understand what a categorical data is, what a continuous variable is, then you easily understand whether it's appropriate or not. Another thing to know is what is a p-value? Basically, a p-value is, is what we use to determine the significance of the results. And the p-value is, is 
example, is when it is less than the predetermined level of significance, such as 0 0.5, well, 0 0.05, then that indicates that the results that are observed in your sample are unlikely to have occurred by chance. This is when we say that there is a significant difference or that the alternative hypothesis is true or the null is false, right? Having, knowing just these basic details, including that your the test that was done was indeed appropriate, is what is basically the foundation of inferential statistics. What's really important is that you report the p-values as the, the exact p-values. Um, in many, well, you see many other papers that don't report this. I, at least in how we do paper, we write and how we prefer to present our data, it's really important to present the actual p-values, especially when it is more than 0 0.001. This gives the reader greater insight into how significant or how, how significant the magnitude of the p-value. And on top of doing this, you also have to show the actual values for each group. I think many, some papers fail to do this. And so as a clinician, you don't really understand um, the significance of the value and the values, and it's harder to use the data for your own clinical practice. You'll see that when there is a significant difference, the values are far up, the values are significantly different as well. And you are able to perceive how different values are by checking confidence intervals. Thank you, Anjali. Um... It, it is really interesting. And I think that a lot of us agree that if you're not trained in statistics, it can seem really overwhelming. The four of us were talking about uh, that everybody should be able to do basic descriptive statistics. Right. It, it, it's just sort of a, a bare minimum that you should be comfortable in doing. And Excel makes it really easy Yes. Um, to do that kind of thing. And so that <clears throat> at the minimum, is what you should aim for, and then working with a good statistician who understands ophthalmic ophthalmic statistics, because most um, a lot of statisticians will not be comfortable doing ophthalmology statistics because our sample sizes and our powers are different than, say, a cardiology clinical study or an orthopedic clinical study. Anything to add on that, Clotilde or Stephanie? I fully agree. Uh, I think it's super important to also give them like mean values from whatever evaluations you did in the paper, not just the p-value. Sometimes for genes, sometimes the regulation is much more relevant than having the p-value between two groups. And um, um, also, I mean, I think it, for a clinical study, it might be really important to have the the visual acuity or whatever in there um, or the thickness of a certain layer in an OCT evaluation and yeah. 
the p-value yeah, sometimes can be misleading by itself yeah yeah it's not it, yeah it's not all the end all and be all and yeah the number you know when you try and explain that to somebody okay it doesn't really matter here and they get very frustrated because in in a lot of people's minds p-values is all you need to report and that's not always the case so and at least in our experience at MedDevice, it has really, um, it has varied country by country and ethics committee by ethics committee. Uh, one of the problems with MDR is that it doesn't address, it doesn't define different types of clinical studies. It just says clinical studies that involve patients. And because of that, it's open to interpretation. And so you really have to um, check with your local ethics committee and ask the question. Uh, because there are some places, particularly in Germany, where the ethics committee says, nope, we don't care. Um, and others that say, you know, the next the next region over will say, yes, you have to submit. So yeah. it's it's kind of a mess right now. Yeah. So actually, uh, in Germany, I totally agree with you. Sometimes it's not just even, you can just be in another city in the same state or area in Germany and it's a different ethics committee and then they need then you need ethics approval so before you start with uh, this kind of study just ask them normally they have contact information where you can call and usually they are really helpful in letting you know if you need approval or not yeah definitely and it is a it is definitely different um you have to stop and think about it before you start the study do you need to, should you register PMCF studies? Um, if a post-market clinical follow-up study is being run prospectively and involving gathering patient data, then absolutely it must be registered. That is a requirement now. Um, you, the Udemed database is not up and running for clinical studies yet. It's supposed to be, I think, later this year or the end of, or early next year. Um, but you can use, in Germany, you can use the Dirks registry. Um, or um, the the one that most people use is clinicaltrials.gov. And, but it is really important to register the studies. And if it's a post-market study that is prospective, you absolutely need to have ethics committee approval. Um, the only area where you do not need to have ethics approval is when you do online surveys of users um, that where you're collecting data anonymously and the surgeon or the doctor has opted in and provided their consent to provide the data. But here, um, you're, there's a certain limit to how much additional information you request. It can only be done within the confines of standard of care. Um, you can't ask them to call patients back. You can't ask them to do special uh, examinations. So there's a, there's a limit there. So always keep that in mind um, before you start to put a study in place if you're hoping to publish it. So, all right. Well, thank you so much to uh, Professor Stephanie Joachim, uh, Clotilde Jamel, and uh, Dr. Anjali Yu. Bye-bye. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.